Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to see all of you here today. As this morning, we will begin the sixth chapter in the book of Acts. And we will be looking specifically today at verses 1 through 7, or at the seven who were chosen to serve. And as we will see in our text today, seven were chosen to serve because some problems began to arise within the early church. And yes, you heard that right. For as we will see in our text today, some problems began to arise within the early church. Yes, within the same early church who had everything in common, within the same early church who cared for the needs of one another, and yes, even within the same early church who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And yet, this shouldn't really come as a surprise to us, should it? Since the early church, just like any other church out there today, for it wasn't a perfect church. And thus, in light of this concept of the perfect church, Pastor Stephen Colfer, he shared this, that it has been said many times that if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, because you will be the one to spoil it. Or that he often tells individuals who take the membership class at his church that if they join the church, that the church will at some point offend them. Or as someone else put it, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. So yes, just as we see problems and issues arise within our own imperfect churches today, for so too did problems arise within the early church as well. And these problems took place within the early church following a section in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles of Jesus Christ, evidently all 12 of them, were arrested and put into jail. However, after being arrested and put into jail, an angel of the Lord then opened the prison doors up for them, led them out and told them, as we see in verse 20, to go and to stand in the temple and to speak to the people all the words of this life. Or as another translation puts it, to go, stand, and to continue to tell the people in the temple the whole message of this life, i.e. the eternal life revealed by Christ and found through faith in him. To which the apostles of Jesus Christ, when they heard this, entered the temple and began to preach. However, when the Sanhedrin then, or the Jewish high court then, found out about this, that the apostles of Jesus Christ weren't in prison anymore, but instead were in the temple preaching and teaching, for the captain and officers went and brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest then questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Only for Peter and the apostles to answer by saying, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
And believe it or not, church, for when the Sanhedrin heard this, for they were not pleased, but instead were enraged and wanted to kill them. However, a Pharisee in the council, a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was held in honor by all the people, for he stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little, only to eventually then say, So in this present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. To which the council of the Sanhedrin then took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Only for the apostles of Jesus Christ then to leave the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And verse 42, every day then in the temple and from house to house, they, the apostles of Jesus Christ, for they did not cease teaching or preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christians must be willing to serve as part of the church and to build the church up, not tear it down. Christians must be willing to serve as part of the church and to build the church up, not tear it down. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And if you are joining us today, but do not have or do not own a Bible, then lovingly let me encourage you to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. And for you to open that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 914 and to join us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 6 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 7, where the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, 
And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, yes, I pray at this time, as we wrestle with this text this morning, and we see that there are no such things as perfect churches out there, and we, wrestling with, and we wrestle with complaining spirits and grumbling hearts, and the stones that we may have thrown at this church or any other church in our past, Father, I pray that there be conviction of sin this morning. But not only that, Father. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace we need to love this church like never before, in spite of its many imperfections, in spite of its limitations, in spite of all of its flaws and warts and things that we don't love about this church. Father, build us up in a unity of the Spirit, I pray. Lord, let there not be a grumbling spirit in this congregation that sows any type of division, but instead give the individual the grace they need Give this people the grace they need. Give this entire church the grace they need to grow in love for this body and for one another, that we see one another as members of the same body, not individuals that we compete with, but individuals who we serve together with, and that we need each other's gifts in order to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. Father, I pray that you pour love and unity and grace into this church body this morning like never before. Father, I feel unfit to be able to preach this sermon this morning to these people. Lord, I pray that you help then my lisping and my stammering tongue as I attempt to do so. Father, let these people know that they have no idea how much I love them and how much the Father loves them. And Lord, that you build us up at this time in the unity of the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, when when churches grow, problems will arise. And when they do, Christians must be a people of grace. When churches grow, problems will arise, and when they do, Christians must be a people of grace. Verses 1 through 4. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, 
whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So as we open here in Acts chapter 6, we see that now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, which shouldn't come as a surprise to us, church, since as we just saw in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, that every day in the temple and from house to house, the apostles of Jesus Christ did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And thus, since they then, the apostles of Jesus Christ, continued to teach and to preach that Jesus is the Messiah. For the early church then, for it continued to grow. However, in light of this growth, or when the disciples of Jesus Christ were increasing in number, verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And what we have here, church, is that during this time when the early church was growing and growing and growing, that a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews. The Hellenist being Greek-speaking Jews, the Hebrews being Aramaic-speaking Jews, and the complaint being that the Hellenist widows within the church were being neglected in the daily distribution. And in essence, what we have here, as Dennis Johnson explains it, is this, that from the start, the church in Jerusalem had reflected the many cultures and spoken languages of the nations into which the Jews had dispersed. For you had Hebrews or Hebraic Jews who were raised in Palestine and who spoke Aramaic, a Semitic language akin to Hebrew. And you had Hellenist or Grecian Jews who had resettled in Jerusalem from other nations and who preferred to speak Greek. And as Christians then met in homes to share food and fellowship together, for it was likely then that either Aramaic or Greek predominated in each of these home gatherings. And presumably it was through these home gatherings that the apostles then administered the distribution of relief to needy widows. However, as the number of disciples increased, home fellowships then no doubt multiplied as well. And during this rapid increase of numbers, the widows in the Greek-speaking house churches, for they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the result of this was the Hellenist complaint. Make sense? And thus, in light of this complaint, for the apostles of Jesus Christ then, For they don't ignore this complaint here, nor disregard this complaint here, nor pass over, pay no attention to avoid or turn a blind eye to this complaint here. But instead, initially, as we see in verse 2, summon the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, for they are not saying here, that it's not important to wait on tables here, nor are they saying that it's not important to serve tables and to manage the distribution of food here, nor even are they saying that it's not important to run a food program here, but instead what they, the apostles of Jesus Christ, are getting at here is that they must prioritize in their ministry the preaching of the word of God. However, as we go on to see, for the apostles of Jesus Christ 
also then address this complaint here as well. And I say that because the apostles then said in verse 3, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And that the apostles asked the church here to pick out seven men of good repute, a.k.a. seven men who were respected and who had a good reputation and who were full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom the apostles, verse 3, would appoint to this duty or turn this responsibility over to, i.e. the responsibility of serving tables or making the daily distribution to those who were in need. And verse 7, we, the apostles then, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that the apostles of Jesus Christ would delegate this task of serving tables to seven men of good repute and who are full of the spirit and of wisdom so that they then could prioritize, in essence, taking the word of God to the people and the words of the people to God via prayer. And yet, before we go on here, church, for I do want to pause for a second and point out to you all once again that the early church here, again, a church who was devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, for as good of a church as it was, for it was still not a perfect church, as within it problems and issues and disputes still arose. And thus, in light of our entire text today, Kent Hughes, for he shared this story from a pastor by the name of Ken Taylor that I think fits in well here at this point in the text. And it's a story, church, about a family who, while traveling down the highway between Johnstown and Jamestown, stopped at Farmer Jones's place in order to ask for a drink of water, which he gladly gave them. So where are you all headed, the farmer asked. Well, we're moving from Johnstown to Jamestown, they told the farmer. And could you tell us what kind of people are there? Well, what kind of people did you find where you lived before, asked Farmer Jones. Oh, they were the very worst kind of people, for they were gossipy and unkind and indifferent, and we are so glad to move away from them. Well, I'm afraid you will find the same kind of people in Jamestown, the farmer said. The next day, then, another car stopped by, and sure enough, the same conversation took place, as these people, too, were moving to Jamestown. And what kind of neighbors will we find there, they asked the farmer. Well, said Farmer Jones, what kind of neighbors did you have where you came from? Oh, for they were the very best. They were all so kind and considerate that it almost broke our hearts to have to move away. Well, said the farmer, for I'm sure that you will find the very same kind of people in Jamestown again. To which Ken Hughes, for he concluded with this, for when believers are unhappy and begin to murmur, the first place to look for the problem is in their own hearts. For Christians who were unhappy at their last church or their last town, or their last job, are probably unhappy where they are now. Now, if you feel that you have a just cause for criticism, by all means, you should express it to the right people and in an appropriate way. But but you must avoid murmuring 
and gossiping, and you must be willing to be part of the solution. For if widows are being neglected, then you should be willing to wait on tables. Or if the Sunday school needs help, then you should be ready to assist however you can. Or if you see a need for a small group, then perhaps you should host one. Or if you see a need for evangelism, then you should be willing to share Christ. For we must not just complain, but instead we must be willing to lead, to delegate, and above all, to serve. Now just to be clear, for what I am not saying here is that if you see something that we as a church body could improve in, or do better in, or an area of ministry that we need to grow in, for I am not saying here that it is sinful or wicked or evil in any kind of way for you to bring those concerns up to an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader here in a loving way in order to help us improve as a church. For I'm not saying that. But what I am trying to get at here and to say here, and to warn you all of here, is to not fall into the trap, brother Christian, sister Christian, or to make it the pattern of your life, brother Christian, sister Christian, to consistently complain about your church, or to grumble about your church, or to criticize, denounce, hate on, or to throw stones at your church, all because your church is imperfect, makes some mistakes, and has some limitations but to instead, brother Christian, sister Christian, show grace to your church, invest in your church, and to seek to be part of the strengthening, the improvement, and the building up of your church, even if it has flaws, limitations, and is far from being perfect. Since to summarize one commentator here, for simply because a church is imperfect, for that does not mean then that a church isn't faithful. And thus it is my prayer then that we as members here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that we show grace toward this church, that we be kind to this church, and that we use all of our gifts and talents to build up and to strengthen this church, and we never seek to tear it down. Also, that is previously mentioned, by our God's grace, we can be a faithful church, faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though problems will still arise and issues will still occur within this imperfect Bible fellowship church. Which brings us to point number two. God can save anyone he desires to save. God can save anyone he desires to save. Verses five through seven. And what they said pleased the whole gathering And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as we see here, church, that what they, the apostles, said, again, that being, as we saw in verse 3, to have the brothers pick out from among them 
seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom the apostles then would appoint to this duty, for this, verse 5, pleased the whole gathering. And that the whole congregation here liked this idea or liked this proposal from the apostles. And thus, as we see then in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Seven men, mind you, church, who had Greek names, likely meaning that they too were all Hellenists. And that maybe the whole congregation here selected these men in order to help smooth over, if you will, this situation and the Hellenist complaint. Nevertheless, these seven men then, as we go on to see in verse 6, for they were set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them, which as one commentator put it, indicates here that these men were being appointed to a special function within the life of the church. And some scholars refer to these seven men here as the first diaconate. And while these men are never especially referred to as deacons, their task within the church certainly resembles the task given to deacons later in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Furthermore, the fact that the apostles laid hands on these men shows that they were probably formally appointing them to the office of deacons. Deacons, who according to Scripture, are to function as the chief servants within the church, and that deacons are to be qualified members of the church who serve the physical and administrative needs of the body. And thus with these seven men then, now able to take the ministry of the tables off the plate of the apostles at this time, for as we see then in verse 7, for the word of God continued to increase and that the word of God continued to spread, and the number of disciples then multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and verse 7, that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, and that not only was the word of God continuing to spread, and the number of disciples was greatly increasing in Jerusalem church, but as we also see in verse 7, that a great many of the priests priest as in not the chief priest, but seemingly the ordinary Jewish priest who served in the temple and who would have still seemingly then at least at some point been opposed to and antagonistic toward the gospel, were now church accepting and coming to faith in the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that right there in verse 7, for it was a balm to my heart and to my soul this week as I read it. And I say that because we all know that one person who loves to tell us how much they oppose the gospel, or that one family member who loves to make known to us how much they reject the gospel, or that one friend of ours who is never afraid to share with us that there is no God and that they don't need the gospel. And yet one of the wonderful takeaways from this text here this morning, church, is this. As Jonathan Reedon writes, for the resolution of this grievance led to further growth to the point that even priests became obedient to the faith. In essence, even those who are the most critical of the faith, for even they can change. And thus take heart this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, that although that friend of yours, 
or that family member of yours or that loved one of yours is still hostile toward the gospel, still opposes the gospel, and still vehemently rejects the gospel, for they can still change, Christian, and still have their heart of stone removed, be given a heart of flesh, and still be saved from their sins. And I say that because when the Spirit of God regenerates a spiritually dead man, for it always, always, always leads then, Christian, to them coming to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how, how, no matter how previously opposed they were to the gospel. And thus because of that, for when you see then, Christian, those who you so deeply love, those who are still hostile toward the gospel, antagonistic toward the gospel, and to still absolutely hate the gospel, for just keep on loving them like Jesus Christ Christian, and pointing them to Jesus Christ Christian, and consistently seeking to share with them the very gospel of Jesus Christ Christian. Because if our God has chosen them before the foundation of the world Christian, for the Spirit of God then will at some point regenerate them, and they will come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they will become part of the kingdom of God forever. Again, no matter how much they opposed or how antagonistic they previously were, toward the gospel. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, the non-Christian who might be hostile toward the gospel at this time, or the non-Christian who might oppose the gospel at this time, or even the non-Christian who grew up in the church and who was hurt by the church and now who hates the gospel of Jesus Christ at this time because of past experiences they had within the church. And yet, via the grace of God, are here with us today and can still be saved from their very sins by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And the one non-Christian who came into this world is truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save sinners Sinners like you and like me, non-Christian, from their very sins, which he, Jesus Christ, did by initially living a life here on earth that was free from any kind of sin. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived, for it was not a sinful life like yours or like mine, non-Christian, but instead it was a holy and perfect, and just, and righteous life, whereby he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God totally and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, simply because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, fulfilled the law of God for the very children of God. For that in and of itself was not enough to save the children of God from their very sins. Since the wage of sin or the payoff for sin is that of death, Romans 6.23. And thus because of that, for he, Jesus Christ, then not only lived the life that the children of God could never ever live, but he also then paid the price for their sins that they could never pay off as well by willingly taking their sins upon himself and by being pierced and crucified killed and crushed on an old wooden cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute as the propitiation or as the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for their very sins, which not only satisfied then the justice of our holy God, but also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. 
And thus, because of all that, three days later, then this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, then, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who can cleanse you of your sin by dying on a cross for you, clothing you in his righteousness, and reconciling you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, boy, in meditating on this passage this week and in praying through the passage this week, for I often found myself giving thanks to the Lord for our deacons here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, for Carl and for Helen, for Brett and for Aaron, and for our previous deacons, Patrick, and for Sean, who have spent countless hours serving and meeting the needs of the saints here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And although we do not know for sure here, church, in our text today, whether these seven men were formally appointed to the office of deacon or not, even though I tend to side with the scholarship that believes they were. As Tony Marita writes, for I think this passage does provide a pattern for sharing the ministry. And that's what deacons do. They assist pastors and elders in ministry work. And in this text... These seven men, they helped the apostles by freeing them up to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And they also helped them by showing everyone an example of what it looks like to serve. And that's what church membership is all about, serving. And that membership says, this is where I serve, not this is where I listen to sermons. And deacons should provide an example of what it looks like to be a faithful church member by serving and by also encouraging others to serve with them. For that's what church membership is all about, serving. And that membership says, this is where I serve, not this is where I listen to sermons. And thus lovingly, let me ask you then this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for are you faithfully following the example of the seven men in our text today and the example of our deacons here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church by using your gifts to actively serve as part of this church body, by making meals for one another or sending cards to one another or giving rides to one another, visiting one another, calling one another, fixing things for one another, moving things for one another, installing things for one another, and by serving together here at the church? Or are you just coming here on Sunday mornings in order to listen 
to sermons. Because my prayer, my desire, my hope is for all of our members here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to not just come on Sunday mornings and only listen to sermons, but to also willingly, willingly then use their gifts and their talents, their capabilities and their endowments to serve and to do the ministry of the church together here as well. And if you don't know where to start serving, brother Christian, sister Christian, lovingly then talk to a deacon or talk to an elder or talk to myself, because quite frankly, we have lots and lots of needs that arise within this church body. And with Pastor Ricardo and his dear family leaving soon, for I imagine that we are only going to need more help in the near future. And yet that is the beauty of the church, where we as members of this church with all of our skills and gifts, abilities and expertise, all get to come together and to do the work of the ministry together. Also, that we as a church body then can faithfully preach and proclaim the word of God to this fallen world around us and at the same time also meet the needs of the saints and build one another up in the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church as well. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, each and every day that we continue to die to self, to show grace to one another, and to take joy in serving with one another as part of this local church body. Therefore, give us the grace we need, Father, even when we don't agree with every decision that takes place within this local church, to not fall into the trap of grumbling against this church or speaking ill about this church, but instead give us the desire, Lord, to seek to build up this church, to strengthen this church, and to faithfully serve as part of this church. Because as previously mentioned, for we know, Father, that we don't have to be a perfect church in order for us here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to be a faithful church. Therefore, help us, Lord, as a church family to faithfully do the ministry together also that the gospel of Jesus Christ can faithfully be proclaimed from this church. The needs of the saints can all be met within this church, and so that you, God, can ultimately be glorified by the faithfulness of this church as well, even though we will be far from being perfect as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful at this time that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We are thankful at this time that Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. And that even though we have so many imperfections and flaws and make so many mistakes... Somehow, in some way, Jesus Christ continues to build the church and that he will come again one day for his bride, the church, the church who he died for, the church who he loves, the church who he continues to sanctify and who will one day, he will glorify her. Father, let us not waste the opportunity that we have at this time as brothers and sisters in Christ to serve as a church, to love one another as members 
part of this dear body that Jesus Christ died for. Father, let us put away all grumbling. Let us put away all complaints that we have. And Father, seek to love one another as Jesus Christ loved us. Father, let us be quick to serve in this church, quick to show grace to this church, quick to invest in the church. And yes, I know we have many weaknesses and many limitations, but let us be about the solutions. Let us seek to build up this church using the gifts we have, I pray. Father, let do a wonderful work in this church on this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.